Hi, welcome to the analysis.news. I'm Paul Jay. We are living in a moment, if American media is to be believed, that is the most dangerous moment in geopolitics since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, that's CNN's over and over line. Um, I don't know that it's actually that dangerous, but there's no doubt when there's nuclear weapons on both sides, it's dangerous. Now joining us in a few seconds will be a political analyst from Kiev in Ukraine and from Moscow in Russia. And we'll be back in just a few seconds. Uh, don't forget, please, there's a donate button, subscribe button, share button. Uh, we need your support if we're going to keep doing all this. Back in a few seconds. As in all lead up to wars, during wars, almost wars, there's an enormous amount of misinformation. Even people that are supposed to be on the same side can't get on the same page. Uh, last I looked, when asked, President Biden and his national security people are saying a Russian invasion of the Ukraine has begun. Uh, last I saw, the head of the European Commission, which is the executive committee of the European Union, when asked the same question, said, no, uh, an actual invasion hasn't begun. The Russian troops that are in Don Donetsk have already been there. Uh, so even, even these uh, people who are supposed to be leaders of the, uh, you would have to call them the anti-Russian camp, uh, are not agreeing with each other. Uh, but there's no doubt the situation has gotten more serious. Uh, and last report I saw, Ukraine is about to declare uh, uh, emergency rule, um, kind of martial law. So now joining us to talk about what's going on uh, is, first of all, joining us from Kiev is Andrei Bozorov. He's originally from Donetsk. He currently lives, as I say, in Kiev. He's a political scientist, security analyst, and academic. And now also joining us from Moscow is our friend Alexander Buzgalin. He's a professor, director of the Center of Modern Marxist Studies at Moscow State University. He's the vice president of the World Political Economy Association. Uh, thank you both gentlemen for joining me. Thank you, thank you both. <laughs> so Andre, uh, start off with where are we at? I mean, is it your understanding that there is, has actually been what is called an invasion uh, and, and what's happening in terms of emergency law. But start with, is there actually an invasion or not? Yes, it is invasion, it was invasion. And I think this is the most correct, uh, correct uh, description of what is, what is we have now and what we have uh, had during the last eight years. As you said, as you said, as you mentioned, I was, uh, I am originally from Donetsk and my mother, uh, she has been living in Donetsk for the last uh, eight years after the beginning of the conflict in 2014. But now she's here, here and she's supposed to go to Donetsk from Kiev to Donetsk uh, two days ago. But unfortunately, this escalation happened and there was very serious political move by Putin about the, uh, about the recognition of the self-proclaimed uh, territories of Donbass, the so-called uh, self-proclaimed republics, I mean, the Donetsk and uh, uh, Lugansk regions, which we uh, call generally Donbass. 
this is a geographic special term of the east of Ukraine. That's why, uh, for me, it's a personal thing. It's a personal, uh, very important um, negative situation because I'm realizing, I'm realizing now this seriousness of the situation because during the last eight years, the Russian did not recognize these territories as an independent states, and it was a hybrid influence on Russia. Uh, but on the other hand, all, all, all of the world, the majority of the democratic world and the Ukrainian government, the majority of Ukrainians understood and understand now that uh, certainly it was a Russian direct invasion in 2014. And now we have a new phase of the hybrid, hybrid I would say, invasion of the uh, real invasion. And during the last eight hours, I have in Telegram a lot of direct messages from the east of Ukraine, and we see the, uh, the replacement of the armed forces of Russian Federation from uh, Russia to uh, this self-proclaimed territory. So it would be official, I would say officially, a, a real uh, huge military base, a really buffer zone with the, um, with the armed forces of Russian Federation. Now, officially, we, we, we see. So this is the last news, last uh, last uh, facts. It, it's very really difficult to analyze in long-term uh, forecast and long-term uh, perspective what will be, for example, tomorrow, because we can analyze only this hour and the last hours. So, and you were a little surprised by this, I think. You were interviewed by the uh, show The Barricade, which we ran on the analysis just a couple few days ago. And you thought this was possible, but you didn't expect it unless there was a real increase in tension. And and I don't was there such an increase in tension? The Russians are saying there was that Ukrainian armed forces were actually uh, getting more aggressive towards Donbas. Well, uh, you know, Paul, that it's a very interesting thing about uh, what we anticipated uh, several years, uh, several days, sorry, ago, because uh, subconsciously, subconsciously, I uh, I realized that uh, Putin would uh, recognize uh, these territories because this is uh, some kind of new step personally by Putin uh, towards his plan. But on, the, on, on, on another hand, I did not want to believe and I did not want to even imagine that the recognition of the, these territories can be because I saw the South Ossetian conflict because my ethnicity is Ossetian and uh, I was born in Ukraine in Donbass, but my father from Ossetia and I know what, how was the conflict in the South Ossetia in 2008. So if we compare the two conflicts now, the recognition of the South Ossetia and Abkhazia, which were the territory of Georgia, and if we compare the recognition of Lugansk and Donetsk, these regions as a self-proclaimed independent states, like we saw two days ago, we see, we would see the total similarity of the political steps. But there is one important difference: the but the, the borders, uh, the, the 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 front line, because that that now when Putin when recognized the territories, he recognized the 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 territories not only within the actual uh, borders of these proclaimed entities, uh, how they call it. He said yesterday, he explained that he recognized all the region, which is also not occupied, like a part of this uh, new 
uh, self-proclaimed territories. So it's a new phase of the conflict, actually, because the, in, in accordance with the with the acts of these separatists, with the, uh, the constitution of separatists, the borders of the their uh, their imagined uh, state should be much more bigger than they have now. So Putin actually uh, recognized not only the current situation, the current borders of these uh, two new self-proclaimed republics, but he actually recognized that all the region, which also now occupied by the Ukrainian government, should be the part of these new two republics. So this is a new phase, new uh, new reality, which even even foreign experts, uh, which saw a lot of things in the past in the Ukrainian experts cannot now understand and cannot explain uh, in the in the in the nearest perspective uh, Alexander what's your take why why recognize these regions as independent republics at at this point and why recognize areas that are actually currently occupied uh, by the Ukrainian army uh, so, a few comments about uh, language and methodology. Uh, when we are speaking about uh, civilized world, democratic world, and Russia, this is, first of all, uh, very specific characteristic. We are democratic, we are civilized, you are, I don't know who. Second, people in Donetsk and Lugansk during eight years are in the situation of war. It was not occupation eight years ago. It was uprising of people who did not want it to be under the supervision of uh, new Kyiv authorities with uh, a lot of nationalism, Ukrainian and many other negative features. And separatist and uprising of people who want to be independent from uh, reactionary government, two big differences. Then, invasion. When the United States came to Estonia, it's not invasion. It is invitation of uh, people, of uh, army, of troops who are our friends. It's okay, no problem. Here, invasion. Why? Because there is international law. It was a lot of examples when civilized democratic governments of uh, NATO countries forgot about this international laws during last half a year, half a century, maybe one century, it was dozens and dozens of times. So it's important. Another very important aspect, uh, so-called geopolitics as main uh, sphere of analysis. I prefer to analyze social economic relations, interests of uh, ordinary people, interests of business and big business of different countries, interest of bureaucracy of different countries. And this is another analysis. Let's ask not uh, if it is invasion, if it is uh, according or not according to the one or another international law. Let's put another question. What is interest of the peoples of Donetsk and Lugansk? If they want to be independent, why not? I can't say the same about any region of Russia. If they decide that it's better to be together with Ukraine, okay, no problem. 
but what they will receive as a result of joining to Ukraine. If they decide that this is better inside Ukraine, no problem. If people of Donetsk and Lugansk think that they, it is better for them not to be under the supervision of Poroshenko or another president and uh, leader of Ukraine together with uh, Bandera groups and so on, it's their choice. And they can make this choice. If Slovak people decided not to be together with Czech people in Czechoslovakia, why not? It can be, I don't know, decision of Slovak people to be together with Russia. Why they cannot be together with Russia and invite Russian troops, not NATO troops, if they decide to do this, why not? Why to invite Americans is okay. To invite NATO is okay. To invite Russia is something absolutely extraordinary, not democratic, and so on. So let's put this question as main question. During eight years, thousands and thousands of people were wounded and killed in Donetsk and in Donbass. Ukraine had eight years to say, we understand your interests. We respect your interests. We want to give you as much as independence inside Ukraine as you want. It's normal decision. And they did not want to go out from Ukraine. They wanted to be part of Ukraine but in, with special conditions of self-reproduction as federal republics inside federal state. Why not? No decision, nothing. And artillery and bombarding, guns, shooting, shooting, shooting. 150 kids killed. There is memorial with names of the kids. For what? So this is key questions. And now key question is not the intervention of Russia. Key question is, is it better for people of Donetsk and Lugansk to be independent from Ukraine or it's worse for them? This is question. And I think the answer which they gave really, it's better for us to be outside, not inside Ukraine. It's their answer. And I think we can and must respect this choice of people, like in Crimea, like in different other countries. It could be in any part of the world, and we must use this, uh, how to say, principle, basic principle of self-independence, self-determination of nations, of peoples, of ethnic groups. Uh, by the way, I don't agree with uh, our president who said that it was Bolsheviks and Lenin who made terrible construction when any uh, republic can withdraw from Soviet Union. It was in the constitution of Soviet Union. It was very perfect and very democratic. In some aspects formal, of course, but it was perfect decision. It's the only basis for real union when everybody is free to leave and when we are together, not because it is the obligation, not because there is big boss, who will kill you if you leave, but because you're, it's better for you, it's better for economic development, it's better for technological development, it's better for human development, it's better for peace. So this is first very important uh, social economic uh, analysis of interests. Okay, well, By let me way, ask, let, let, is not, let, let's ask Andre that question that you raised. Yes, Andre. Uh, one minute, I will come okay. in briefly and then... Uh, Okay, the, go ahead. 
<laughs> and they will take the floor uh, to argue. Uh, second aspect, which is very important, uh, much more broad and uh, difficult. What is better for world security, for peaceful development of the world? When we have one world policeman, NATO, with the United States as a power, center of this power, or it's better to have two or three policemen who can participate in the decision of world geopolitical, so-called geopolitical problems. Is it better to have competitors for US and NATO or not? We had last talk uh, with you, Paul, discussion. Why US can put base uh, near border of Russia and Russia cannot pay, uh, build base, military base, on the border of United States in Mexico or in Cuba. Why not? If for, uh, I don't know, security of uh, Baltic republics, it's necessary to have NATO in Baltic republics. Maybe. Maybe this is choice of Baltic republics people. But if Cuban people decide that it's better to have Russian troops and Russian fleet in Cuba, why not? This is choice of Cuban people. And in Estonia, according to NATO rhetoric, there is no threat for Russia. In Baltic Republic, there is no, if NATO in the Baltic Republic, there is no threat for Russia. It's absolutely peaceful. Great. Russian base in Cuba, no threat for United States, only peace. Or Russia is aggressive because it is Russian. And NATO and United States are peaceful because this is United States and NATO. So, and final remark, very important. In Russia, we have some imperialist intentions, intentions of big business, intentions of bureaucrats. We have nationalists, chauvinists, who wants to be, to start really aggressive steps. We have such circles, but this is not official policy. We have terrible economic and social policy of our government, and I'm criticizing this all the time. I'm not stupid lover of everything what is done by our state. But now I'm talking not about Putin, not about even Biden or anybody else or, or Zelensky. I'm talking about peoples, peoples in Ukraine, peoples in Donetsk, peoples in Russia. What is better for them? This is key question. Yes, now maybe Andre or your questions, Paul. Well, go ahead, Andre. That's answer the question. <laughs> What's better for the peoples? Uh, you know Donbass? that uh, I, I think uh, Paul, uh, uh, Paul, uh, thank, uh, thank you for. Uh, uh, I think uh, we have uh, now um, a very uh, different position, ideological position uh, between Alexandra and Andre. I think it, it would be a discussion uh, like between soccer player and basketball player. No? And uh, what is better, soccer or basketball? Uh, I would, uh, I would. I'm sorry, I one, one minute for interruption. The question is, if uh, soccer or basketball play is killing people, it's necessary to have some I, discussion. I, 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 I think that now uh, the most, uh, no, I mean, for me, personally, for me as a citizen of Ukraine, now the most important thing, what, uh, what will be next and not what we are during these last eight years. Uh, here in Kiev and in Ukraine and the people, and the, like a man originally from Donetsk and I have been lived 28 years in Donetsk. Uh, and I cannot now say on behalf of, uh, of Ukrainian government or of, uh, of local 
some <laughs> other bodies in the Donbass or on behalf of Russia. I speak now on behalf of myself as an expert. It's a very important thing. And uh, as an expert, as a citizen of Ukraine, I think that the, the, the question what will be next is much more uh, important uh, in comparison with, with the question what will. Because I know what will better than many uh, other people and experts. And um, I think that if we an analyze the situation now, despite what what were the, the previous, what were the historical prerequisites, because we can analyze also situation which were before 2014 and uh, 100 years ago, uh, now uh, it's very difficult to foresee, to give a real uh, force forecast for the next uh, month. Uh, and uh, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, after the recognition of these republics, whatever was the motivation, whatever was the motivation, it depends on the uh, Putin himself. And uh, I think that, uh, I mean, the motivation, uh, I think that um, it's now very probable, very probable to see the military escalation. And uh, I always supported any kind of diplomatic efforts, any any kind of diplomatic resolution that despite some of uh, Russian society and Ukrainian society and against any diplomatic moves. There are there are right wing in Russian expert uh, society which against any kind of any kind of diplomatic uh, steps towards Ukraine, there are very radical, I emphasize, very radical uh, nationalist group in Ukraine, who, which against any kind of uh, consensus. And now, unfortunately, uh, after the last days, I see that the consensus now impossible, unfortunately. And maybe it, it, it can be possible, the diplomatic efforts can play some role in a year or in a month, I don't know. It depends on the following events. However, now I, I, I intuitively feel the, 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 the tendency toward, towards escalation. Uh, and uh, I don't know what will be the trigger, the, the reason for the escalation, but uh, the probability is very, very high. Uh, and the biggest problem now that we don't have actually any kind of diplomatic effort or platform uh, under, under surveillance, under control of Europeans or United States or post-Soviet countries. We don't have now uh, a platform or any format for negotiation because the old format, which we used to see during the last eight years, the Normandy format, which was bad, but it was, I think it died, the format like a diplomatic platform unfortunately uh, andre the the minsk agreement which if i understand correctly was supposed yeah, I mean, to ukrainian government was supposed to allow a, a significant amount of autonomy for donbass uh, now yes, did, yes. now if, if, if i'm correct the, the ukrainian government really didn't live up to the minsk agreement is that not one of the underlying issues here uh, Paul, um, the, the, the Norman deformant, which I mentioned, the France, German, Russian, and the Ukraine, there are four countries, they created these Minsk agreements and they created this Minsk platform for communicating between uh, the, the, side, the, the, the participants of this conflict. But it failed. 
it failed because of the many reasons. If you ask well, myself, me, I mean, or official government of Ukraine or Russian Federation or Germans or, or France, what was the reason of uh, failure of these uh, agreements? It would be in different or distinguishing different explanations what, why it happened. And uh, uh, Minsk agreements, which were, which were recognized by everybody, the Minsk agreements was recognized by United States, by France, German, Ukrainian, and Russian and other countries, even Great Britain, uh, they were not actually fulfilled uh, because of the different reasons. And if you ask Russians, they will say that Ukrainians did not fulfill them. If you ask our government, the previous one and the current, they will say that uh, Russians did want to implement. So it's now, it's, it's now very difficult to find uh, truth about many things. And the truth now that we have the result of this eight, eight years diplomatic semi-frozen conflict, I would say, because I, I never called the conflict frozen. So now we see the new reality, new reality, absolutely new reality, and new political and I would say regional reality. Okay, so what, what? So how do you answer Alexander's fundamental question? Uh, I, I guess it's actually it should be two parts. Which what is better for the people of Donbas, and how do we actually find out what the people of Donbas want? And, but do you? But do you? Would you accept I, I, that if the people of Donbas want independence from Ukraine, that they do have a right to have that? Uh, it's a, it's a very uh, strange question. I'm not uh, telling to you, Paul. I, uh, I I used to hear this question for eight years, and it's a very strange question because first of all, Donbas is separated on two now lines. There is Ukrainian Donbas, and there is non-controlled area Donbas. Uh, so if we speak about on behalf of all Donbas, you have asked all the Ukrainians. The second thing that if we speak about both part of Donbas, even the party which the, the, the site which occupies now, or actually uh, not controlled by official government, the majority of the people who live there, they are citizens of Ukraine. It's a very important thing not citizens of Russian Federation. There are, in accordance to the last statistics, maybe several uh, thousand, uh, several, um, uh, not thousand, several, uh, how to say, no, I mean- uh, Andrei, one million people- They are not, they are not, fundamental question uh, is another question fundamental. So the people of, uh, the, the, the people who live in Donbass, both sides, they are Ukrainians. The majority of them, they have Ukrainian citizenship. So the constitution of Ukraine, I'm tell you like a professional lawyer, because I, I know what is what is the law, what is the constitution, uh, defends all the Ukrainians, all the citizens of Ukraine. In the, uh, the question which raised Alexander, is ideological question. It's not a juridical question, and it's not a political question. This is ideological question. And he took eight years and he said, look, there is a people of Donbass, and we, we listen to them. But if we analyze the, the history of the conflict, we should analyze all the facts. This is another story, another story. And for me, for the for, for, for the Ukrainian citizen, for the expert, for the people of the Dom, for, who are originally from Donbass, it's 
a very sensitive question. And if somebody wants to speak about me, with me about this topic, this person should be ready, ready to, to organize very serious professional dialogue. But now I want to emphasize and to pay attention that the most important thing is what to be the next and not what were, what were the prerequisites. And this is for me is fundamental question. Okay, let Alexander come in. Yeah, Go yeah, ahead. Thank you. First of all, uh, when we are talking about social and class interest, uh, every time all experts are trying to say this is not professional, this is ideology, this is not a sphere of uh, professional argument and so on. They will take constitution. Okay, Soviet constitution was broken in 1991. All uh, leaders who created independent states in 1991 were uh, criminals who made anti-constitutional step. And it was different referendums, different ideas. It's normal when constitution is broken. World is developing. We had monarchies, they were destroyed. We had different republics, they were changing. We are living in world which is changing. This is normal. Second. It's normal to have an opinion poll in Donbass and to ask if these people who has Ukrainian passport, okay, majority has Ukrainian passport. By the way, one million wrote document, we want to be citizens of Russia. We don't want to be citizens of Ukraine during last days and maybe weeks, I don't remember exactly. So let's ask these people if they want to be inside Ukraine. Referendum, very democratic. Is this ideology about future development of events? I want to stress, if Russia, Russian government will make absolutely crazy step and use army to move in the direction of Kyiv or any other city of Ukraine, I tell next minute, this is terrible crime. But, if Ukrainian army will attack now seriously and not seriously because, okay, we had uh, many days when artillery is shooting and people in small villages and uh, small towns uh, and so on are under the artillery attack. And this is permanent. The same from Donbass, they are answering. So, but if it will be attacked from Ukrainian army, of Ukrainian army, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit nervous. It's very sensitive. I, I cannot be objective expert, I'm sorry. If it is the attack of uh, Ukrainian army, I will support all people who will be volunteers and maybe not volunteers, but officers and soldiers of Russian army who will go to protect Donbass. And I supported in 2014 people who went to Donbass as volunteers I know many of them, they were not soldiers, they were not officers. It was a voluntary step, it was people from United States, from Germany, from uh, Asia countries, uh, from different uh, countries of former Soviet Union who came to Donbass to defense people of Donbass. It's also true. It was people in the Ukrainian army who came to uh, participate in this uh, battle from Ukrainian side, but for the future. There is very simple decision of Zelensky or any other leaders uh, of Ukraine. 
we recognize that Donbass is independent. Okay, and now let's start economic, social, political, cultural competition. If Donbass people with open border to Russia and to Ukraine understand that it's better for us to live inside with Ukraine. In Russia, guys, you have terrible oligarchs. We have. In Russia, we have terrible bureaucrats. We have. In Ukraine, we have wonderful democratic government. In Ukraine, we have social responsible business who protect our lives, who gives us good jobs, who give us good wages. We want to be in Ukraine. We made terrible mistake. Russia is awful. Ukraine is wonderful. It's European democratic country. With social justice, with strong uh, trade unions, with real political freedom for left who are talking about socialism and communism and who says that the Soviet Union was good and they will not be in prison. And in Russia, it's awful. In Ukraine, there is no Nazi, like in uh, France, for example, where it is forbidden. So Ukraine is wonderful. Russia is terrible. We want to be in Ukraine. We vote for the journey to Ukraine. You win. You have victory. Russia go out. We are now again part of Ukraine. Very simple decision. Peace. Why not? So again, I am against any attack of Russian troops from Donbass to any other territory of Ukraine. Question to Andrei. Will you, as citizen of Ukraine, not as independent expert, as citizen of Ukraine, as person with ideology, maybe you don't have any ideology, I don't know. You're absolutely objective and you don't have any ideology. As person who has citizenship of Ukraine, will you support attack of Ukrainian army, serious attack, which will lead to the death of thousands, maybe 10, 20, 30, 100,000 people from both sides, attack of Ukrainian army on Donbass or not? Oh, no. uh, Paul. Um, uh, finally, finally, I uh, heard now a very fundamental, serious question, which is really fundamental about uh, what will be the next. And uh, the problem is that if you analyze the possibility of military action, if you would, if you uh, would ask me, for example, Paul, you three days ago, the possibility about the military actions, uh, like Washington Post and Wall Street Journal and New York Times and the me West Western media uh, uh, said uh, during the last three weeks that it will be the imminent uh, Russian Russian attack of Ukraine. I, I, I would say that the attack is impossible uh, because of the political and other reasons and uh, or the escalation or provocation would be impossible. But after the last events, which we talked about, the recognition, the, 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 the self, self proclaimed republics, now I cannot be sure I, I have any certainty that uh, the war cannot happen. It cannot happen, sorry. Why? If you analyze Ukraine, Ukrainian media, uh, you will see, and you will ask any Ukrainian expert, you will see that we are here anticipating of the Russia invasion. If you ask the citizens of Ukraine uh, who lived in the occupied territory, like we called in accordance with the law occupied territory, they are awaiting of the 
some kind of attack from Ukraine. If you read the Canadian or Western or German or Arab uh, or other media, I analyze all the media all over the world and give the interview every day in different languages. Uh, you would see that the Western media always emphasize the inevitable, that the war will be inevitable, despite, despite that our government, official government, unlike the American government, say that the war is it's less probable like the Western our allies see. So there is a very serious contradiction between between Russia, United States, Ukraine and the United States, Ukraine and Russia. So it's very difficult to understand what would be the trigger. I don't want uh, war and I think, answering your question, I think the question about extent, I think that still we have a little chance to prevent some kind of uh, bloodshed. But I think that the, the trigger, the trigger of, uh, of Casus Bailey, as the international law said, can be any kind of provocation, any kind of provocation, or any kind of uh, decision, political decision to make uh, some kind of uh, attack. That's why it can be everything. Unfortunately, it can be everything. And I cannot, I'm not a representative of official government, as I said, but now I see that the, uh, the, the tense is so huge, is so huge in the Donbass, because I, uh, every hour I communicate with my relatives, with my uncle who lives in Donetsk, and the tense is huge. What do, so they, the, what do they want? No, no, it's not, it's not a question what they want, because if you ask them, the people, if you ask the people in Kiev, in Donetsk, in Kharkov, you know, yes, and any city of Ukraine, they everybody want peace. It's logic, as uh, as well as I also want peace. I don't want war because I, I know what is war. It's terrible, but unfortunately, uh, now the the probability of the war is very, very, very high. And who will be the trigger of this war? I don't know. It depends on the many facts. I'm not but a, but in answer to Alexander's question, you would be opposed to a, any kind of Ukrainian military attack, assault on Donbass? Well, Alexander uh, asked me a question. Which, so he, uh, he says he would be opposed which, which, to which, any which, movement. Which, no, no. Of all his questions, all his questions. He's a very intelligent man. He's an economist. He has PhD in economy. I have PhD in philosophy. And, you know, the, the, the discourse of philosophy and economists is a very amusing story. Uh, because you can ask me a lot of questions. Andre, I'm sorry, I am uh, uh, you can, you can, also you professor ask, of philosophic you, department. You, you, just yeah, to yeah, come so you, 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 can, you can ask me a lot of questions because uh, it's, it's your choice, it's democratic, but I will give my answers. Of course. So, uh, Paul, uh, uh, please, sorry for, for interruption. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, he said he would consider it a crime if the Russian army moved towards Kiev. Um, and then he asked you, would you be opposed to any kind of Ukrainian military initiative against Donbass? Which I assume that if both of you agreed that there needs to be peace, then I can't see how you both wouldn't agree with at least that proposition, that the they should all stop shooting at each other. 
Yes. So, uh, one so, so, that, so let me just let me just go one step further. Doesn't this eventually get one way or the other? Doesn't it have to wind up with some kind of referendum here? I, I don't under and, and there has does there not also have to be an acceptance on the part of Ukraine that if the majority of people of Donbass want independence, they could have it. And the same thing, there has to be an acceptance on the part of Russia. If they lose that referendum, they have to get out of there. Uh, you, you raised the same question as Alexander raised and concerning the so-called referendum because the referendum in Crimea and in Donbass, they were not, uh, they were not uh, recognized by uh, Ukrainian government. Okay, but I'm talking about a future referendum. And, and uh, yes, I know, I know. And I don't yeah. know to shift to the historical things because it's a lot of judicial thing about the future referendum. It's a very very uh, um, uncommon question for me because I don't think that the future referendum can be as a key or uh, some kind of new um, new um, tool uh, for resolving of the conflict. I don't believe that it's because of the political reasons possible because I feel what is happening inside Ukraine and I feel what is happening uh, inside the Kyiv. I think that there isn't now unfortunately uh, the, the understanding uh, what uh, what kind of format or what kind of tool can be used to prevent or resolve the conflict. So now we see, even during the last year, last two hours, I see the the news. I saw the news. Sorry, uh, that uh, we are waiting for the state of emergency. So next step, I I would think that it would be martial law. But martial law, not in Ukraine at all, I think in, in, in the area, so partly. That's why we, we, we see the tendency to the tents, not tendency to the diplomatic efforts. And I, 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 I and to, the, to the other tools, because what, what you say, what you say, the referendum, this is the result of the diplomatic negotiation, which are now in deadlock, absolutely 100 deadlock for the diplomacy, at least for today, unfortunately. Alexander, go ahead. First of all, uh, it's uh, impossible to have uh, diplomatic negotiations, as Andrei said, uh, because uh, Zelensky can lose the power if he will not attack uh, Donbass. And for him, this is more important than uh, death of uh, thousands of people. Uh, the same, by the way, it's normal for politicians when they're thinking about their career, their power, their money, if it is not a political leader, but economic leader, they're thinking about this, not about people, not about interests of ordinary citizens of one or another country. This is normal for capitalist system. Uh, Andrei will say that this is ideology. I will agree. This is ideology. This is Marxist ideology, socialist ideology. It's true. <laughs> But you also have ideology, ideology of juridical fetishism, ideology of the recognition of Western media as the key source for information and so on and so forth. It's, uh, and you are not answering on the direct questions because you are afraid to give the answer. Because you know that uh, really you will say, yes, uh, I will support a citizen of Ukraine, or at least I will keep silence if Ukrainian government will attack Donbass or Donetsk or Lugansk. And I will not keep silence if Russian government will start any aggressive actions, such kind. Uh, so this is the difference between us. Uh, I'm also a philosopher. I'm director of the Center in the Department of Philosophy, Moscow State University. 
and I published, I don't know, 100 articles in mainstream uh, philosophy journals, academic journals in Russia. So we are in one science here. And you're talking a lot about economic questions. So this is not this question. Uh, key question now is how to make peace. This can I ask, can I, let me ask one question before we go there. Uh, it's why, yes. why, why did Russia bring this to a head now with the recognition uh, of these states? And why now? Uh, really, this is a question not to me. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I think that it was necessary to make these steps, this step earlier. When it was a real uprising in Donbass, in Donetsk and Lugansk in 2014, and when they had really more democratic uh, leaders, uh, real heroes, not modern uh, leaders, which are part of uh, establishment like in Russia, like in everywhere. I think the reason is uh, in political games between leaders of United States and NATO, European Union, Russia. Even Ukraine, uh, Putin had some negotiations, indirect at least, with uh, Zelensky and Zelensky with Putin. They are playing game. And this is not a very good idea. But uh, final decision is, I think, because uh, Lugansk and Donbass, Donetsk people and their leaders finally understood if they will not make any uh, decisive step in the nearest future, Ukrainian army will attack Donetsk and Lugansk, and thousands of people will be killed, including kids, women, old people, and so on. I think they are right. It is. Uh, it was more and more probable day by day that it will be such a take. I am not secret uh, Soviet person, I'm not spy, I'm not uh, anti-spy, I'm not KGB agent or uh, uh, SBU, it's uh, KGB of Ukraine agent, I'm just professor. So that's why I don't have secret information, but according to atmosphere, this is the problem. And because of that, uh, one minute, I'm finishing, and because of that, this growth of tension and growth of threat of attack of Ukrainian army against Donetsk and Lugansk. Because of that, Donetsk and Lugansk decided to be, to say we are independent. Before they did not say we want to be recognized as independent states. It was not such a requirement, if I am not mistaken. They said we want to be protected. We are afraid that it will be taken again, will be blood like it was in 2014 when I don't know how many thousand people were killed. But I think not less than tens of thousands of people were killed and wounded, uh, maybe 100 from both sides, thousand people. So to protect this blood and uh, will it work or not now depends from Ukrainian leaders. If they uh, start military attack on Donetsk and Lugansk, war will take place. If they will not start this attack and will say, Russia and Russian leaders and the Russian people are terrible. They occupied our territory and so on, but will not attack. It will be peace. If they attack, war. Last so time we talked. It's uh, Zelensky and his uh, team or anybody in Ukraine will decide peace or war, not Russia. Last time we talked, Alexander, 
you were talking about how this tension serves all the oligarchs, the Russian oligarchs, the Russian military-industrial complex, the Ukrainian military-industrial complex, the American military-industrial complex. I mean, all the oligarchs, and I include the American oligarchs, they're all going to make money out of this conflict. There already are. Hundreds of millions of dollars are pouring into the Ukraine. Uh, the energy prices are going through the roof, which helps the uh, fossil fuel, not just in Russia, but the American fossil fuel and the Saudis. I mean, there's money going to be made out of all of this crisis. Uh, how much of this is being on the Russian side? How much of this is a factor? And let me just say, first of all, speaking as a North American, and I'm a dual citizen, I'm a Canadian, I'm American, this very much drives American policy. Military-industrial complex, money and arms, uh, fossil fuel and arms drives American foreign policy. And frankly, I'm also in Canada right now, and there's nothing other than trade and fossil fuel politics that drives Canadian foreign policy. So, you know, this, this Western democratic construct is as much bullshit uh, as, as and, is, and in fact, the Americans on the world stage have committed far more crimes than any other country in the world. No, no other country comes even close to what the United States has done. All that being said, how much of this bringing things to such a boiling point by the Russian state, uh, how much is being driven by these kinds of motives? Uh, it is. It is such a motive. It is such economic interest. Maybe this is again ideology, I don't know, but it is true from my point of view. Uh, now I'm talking as a specialist in political economy and uh, social economic relations in my country. And I told about this uh, during more than one hour during last hour meeting, that's why I did not repeat this. And this is very important. By the way, when Putin in his speech uh, said about oligarch bureaucratic regime in Ukraine, he described the same re regime in Russia, so he didn't mention this, of course, but uh, it is uh, understandable for everybody. I had talked with many Russians, they said, oh, why he said this is Ukraine, why he did not say that this is Russia? So it is a bad smile, but smile, or maybe smile, but bad. I don't know how to say. So that's why we have this interest from uh, top officials from big capital in any country who has military-industrial complex, and this is all big countries. So, and in Russia, of course, this is also the problem, big problem. Nationalism, great power, chauvinism, uh, military-industrial complex, and so on. But uh, this is, again, a big question. What is better to have only now as world policemen, or to have also Russia, China, maybe anybody else, or maybe union between different countries, uh, which will confront with NATO in some questions, or will have agreement with NATO. This is a big question for discussion. And from uh, the uh, and uh, who will say what is better, for whom it is better, for big business, for bureaucrats, for peace, for majority of the citizens of the world, for whom it's better. So it's very fundamental question. Because I can propose as left person very simple decision. Let's make socialist revolution in all countries in one day. <laughs> great decision. Yeah, no problems. Uh, but this is uh, fantasy, uh, unfortunately. Uh, what we can propose this is a united anti-fascist front, united peace movement, which we had in 1960s, and it was very important factor. 
which supported Kiev in the situation of terrible Cold War in 50s and 60s. It was initiated by different people. Some leaders of the West hated Stalin and Soviet Union and Khrushchev and all other leaders, but they said, okay, we are ready to be with these terrible guys, with this terrible Soviet Union, but in order to have peace. And the same was in Soviet Union. We had US professors who are slaves of the big business, but we are with them because they want to have peace. Maybe we can make the same global movement when anybody who will start military action will know that, uh, I don't know, 20, 30, 50 million people in all over the world will protest against this. When it was Iraqi war, New York Times, New York Times wrote, in the world there are two powers, power of, uh, sorry, power of uh, US army and power of uh, people who went to the streets of New York and London. In London, it was more than two million demonstration. My wife participated in this demonstration against war in Iraq. Maybe if now we have in all countries in Western Europe, in Ukraine, in Russia, these millions of people coming to the streets, demonstrating against any type of war. Do whatever you want, but not use uh, weapons, not kill people. Okay, let me ask Andre a question. Sorry, I, 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 you I, must interrupt me. I can talk. Okay, to, well, I to just did. Long. I just did. <laughs> yes, thank you. You can cut me. Uh, Andre, I heard an, uh, I saw an interview, or it's actually an article with a Ukrainian scientist. And uh, actually, could you just say a few things so we can get the camera on you? Yes, yes. Yeah, there we go. I saw an interview with a Ukrainian scientist, mm -hmm. and she was calling for Ukraine to take the NATO card off the table. Uh, that one, there's no way any NATO's ever going to let Ukraine in NATO anyway. The whole thing is such a red herring, it's ridiculous. Uh, there, if I understand it correctly, there has to be consensus. All the NATO countries are going to have to agree. They never will agree. I can't imagine Turkey agreeing, and you can name a bunch of other countries that are never going to agree for Ukraine to be in NATO. So why not just take that off the table and Ukraine declare neutrality and, and let Ukraine say we withdraw any application to be in NATO. Let's just take this off the table. Now let's focus on how to resolve Donbass. But but I ask the same question to you is the reason why Ukraine doesn't do this is because, as, as Alexander talked about the Russian oligarchs, it's because the Ukrainian oligarchs are making lots of money out of all this. There's a serious uh, military industrial complex in Ukraine, mm -hmm. and it, it, it serves their interest to have all this NATO hoorah-rah because P there's tons of money flowing into the Ukraine as a result of all this. Oh, Paul, you raised a very serious uh, question concerning our foreign policy. You know that during the last 30 years, we have uh, we have a discussion in expert uh, field and the citizens uh, between the taxi drivers, even <laughs> concerning the NATO. <laughs> no, I, I drew, I telling you the truth. Should we should we go to NATO or how to get there? And uh, I'm a I'm a a specialist in foreign policy and graduated from the diplomatic academy and uh, for me is international relation is a very important sphere and uh, you know that uh, for in in our in our society we have a split decision we don't have unanimous unanimous decision about what to do with NATO. and i always uh, i always was 
against uh, integration Ukraine of NATO, uh, not because of I'm against the United States, against Canada, against uh, Western countries, because I'm a realist. I know that because of three reasons we cannot be in NATO. One reason, this is uh, the absence of the solidarity of the unanimous decision inside NATO. The second reason, this is uh, that we don't have adopt our standards to the uh, to the standards of NATO, and we even don't have the status of candidate. So we even are not in the beginning <laughs> of, of the integration. And that's not the reason and that we actually, as Gendry Kissinger told many years ago, when he gave, he gave an interview to a lot of journalists, he always repeated one phrase. He always said that uh, Ukrainian Ukraine as a country is a very sensitive thing for Moscow, for Russia. And Genry Kissinger just said many years ago that the attempt to integrate Ukraine and Georgia uh, towards uh, NATO allies on some kind of bilateral agreement, it would provoke uh, a Russian reaction, whatever who will be the president in Russia. And all these things, they were very sensitive and everybody understand. But, but what happened in Ukraine? In the early 90s, the political politicians and the oligarchs, because the, all politicians in Ukraine, they're financed by the oligarchs, they create this mytholo mythology, this political myth about the integration in, 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 in NATO. And uh, a lot of politicians, experts, they use it, use this myth every year. We are actually, despite that some politicians uh, um, uh, make made the amendments to our constitution that we have official course to NATO and European Union. Despite all these facts, we are uh, in fact neutral. Uh, we have a military neutral. There are two proofs why we have military neutral. We are not candidate to NATO and we are not a member of NATO. And the other proof, second, the most important proof as Serbia, uh, hey, the same situation with Serbia. We don't have any kind of military agreement with any kind of country, Canada or United States or Great Britain, where there will be stipulated the help, the help of the military help if there will be some kind of aggression. So if there is a, a threat, we are themselves. We are, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Biden's made yeah. it clear. The UK has made it clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is that there's this enormous fight so, taking place over a fantasy because so Ukraine fact, will never be in NATO. De facto, de facto, and de facto, we are neutral. We have military neutral. But politicians keep on use this topic uh, inside Ukraine and outside Ukraine. I don't know why. It's a very provocative thing, you know, but uh, they keep on using about the, we will be in NATO and the, the NATO officials, Stoltenberg and the generals, current generals or current representative spokesmen of NATO, they never recognized and never confirmed and they are not now, they, they don't recognize and they will not recognize that, uh, that we will be in NATO for 100%. So this is obvious facts, obvious things, but part of the society doesn't want to accept it in Ukraine. That's why the politicians use this vacuum of understanding. They keep on 
using because of the electorate, first of all, because we don't have any um, alternative. I mean, the politicians don't have any alternative concerning the foreign policy. It's, we, we used, because of the prejudice, some experts to see only two vectors, uh, Russian or America. But if you analyze the United Nations countries, there are 192 uh, members of United Nations countries. Only 30 countries are member of NATO. So the other, they are neutral. They are member of a different local uh, unions. So the majority of the countries, they are not a member of right. the union. So why not just so the so I get to back to the same point. I think I think we're kind of agreeing with each other actually because they 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 won't declare neutrality because there's more money to be made out of not being declaring neutrality, even though that's the reality. Okay, let me jump to Alexander's point. He's saying. Yes, you have the position of the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian oligarchs. You have the Russian government and the Russian oligarchs. But I think what Alexander is saying is there also need to be a position of the peoples. There needs to be a demands that come of the peoples, which start with stop all the militarization, stop all the, any possibility of any further fighting and get to a process which resolves this. But, but I, I have to ask the same question again I asked you before. How does this get resolved if, it, unless Ukraine would accept a legitimate referendum on independence, assuming one could even be negotiated to be had? But I don't see how this ends up any other way, unless, unless it just solidifies with Russia, you know, these, these states are there and Russian troops are there, and, and that's just the way it is for, for who knows how long. But, but if there is going to be what I would call a democratic resolution, there needs to be some kind of democratic process, which I, have to, I agree with Alexander, and it's not like in Canada. I fully support Quebec's right to independence. There's been several referendums. They've been very close. But, and within the construct of Canadian law, the referendums are legal. And if, they, if the uh, independent forces had won, Quebec would have separated. Uh, they lost by a, by a hair several times. But how is there any other resolution of this that one can call democratic? Uh, Paul, I, I will tell you, um, this is my last answer towards your question. I think that the referendum which you're talking about is uh, it's impossible uh, because of two things, because of the two reasons. Why? First, this the, the public opinion will not accept it, I think, in Ukraine, the majority. And the other thing that the politicians who, or the officials or the politicians who can be responsible for, for such kind of idea of implementation, they are, we don't have such kind of politician. So I didn't even hear such kind of initiative, initiative from the politician. Maybe some experts can you no, but not politicians so it's i i i i cannot understand how it can be implemented at least now but i don't know what will be in a year or in a month because the, the current events are very quick okay alexander I, I well let me just say i it seems to me you're saying yeah there should be but the practical politics of it is not within sight am i hearing you correctly No, no, this was, for, this was for Andre. I just wanted to make sure I'm understanding Andre properly. Oh, yes, I do. That's why I did silence. Yes. Sorry, sorry. Just to, I, I'm saying it sounds to me like you're saying there, there should be such a process, 
but you don't see it as a, po a real political possibility. Am I understanding you? Uh, I, I cannot say that it would be a, a, a variant for the, I, I cannot say that it would be exit. I mean, the, the, the key to the result. So I, I cannot say that I support that kind of thing because I know that it can be, it should, it, it, it's impossible to implement such kind of thing in Ukraine now, it's impossible. So the idea of referendum, this is a myth and it's impossible to implement in Ukraine because of the many reasons I've already talked. Okay, Alexander, uh, I, th I think this has been a, a really important conversation and I think we should do it again. Uh, but I, I, I gave Andre the first word, so I'm giving you the last word, Alexander. Go ahead. <laughs> I try to be brief. Uh, first of all, uh, maybe I made quotation from Lenin, which is uh, for me a very serious expert in political questions. This is because this is because you were accused of being ideological. Now you're really yes, going to stick so it in here. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I don't afraid to be ideological. Uh, but uh, I'm serious. Uh, one time Lenin said that politics is uh, appears when millions of people are doing something. When we have uh, discussions between leaders, is, is, this is not politics. This is political games. Real politics starts when millions and many millions of people participate in changing of the world. And this is important. Uh, I'm not advisor of Putin. Of course, I'm not advisor of Biden or Zelensky or anybody else. But uh, I'm one of the organizers of Russian Social Forum. I will participate in World Social Forum. I participated in uh, Pacific Asia Social Forum. On, uh, it was open in plenary. And every time I said, we must initiate uh, real mass peace movement international, this participation of liberals, conservatives, different types of left, uh, green, uh, I don't know, rose, doesn't matter, white. It's very important because now we have growth of tension. From the point of view of political economy, world is moving in the direction which is very similar with situation which took place in the early 20th century before World War One. It was very close, friendly relations between Nikki, Tsar of Russia, from one hand, and Chancellor of Germany, Austria, France Democratic, Britain Democratic, Germany Democratic, and Austria Parliament. All countries are democratic. And then 10 million people killed. Why? Because of economic interests, not because of the games of politicians fundamental economic interests. Now we have a very strong movement in this terrible direction. Again, we have new countries which can participate in redistribution of the economic and political influence, and this can lead to the war. That's why it is time to struggle for peace. Then I think we can stress again and again some principles which were elaborated after World War II for United Nations. If you read the Declaration of United Nations after World War II, it will be like a communist manifesto. It was such an experiment in the United States 
uh, in the streets, people, uh, were, um, the Declaration of United Nations uh, was written and uh, uh, journalists asked to sign this declaration and people said, no, it's communist propaganda. So it's time to start again this movement. And I want to use your program, Paul, because there are a lot of people, thousands, millions maybe, uh, in all over the world to say this and to discuss seriously this question. In May will be World Social Forum, which is uh, many thousands of different international organizations who participate. It is uh, up to 100,000 uh, participants of the forum in the, interne in the uh, internet space. Uh, and uh, I think we must put in the agenda this question as a key question. And if I can make appeal to Russian government, to Ukrainian government, to peoples, first of all, to peoples of Ukraine and Russia, let's say in Russia and in Ukraine, I have, by the way, chance to talk sometimes in even central TV of Russia, in radios and so on. I will repeat again and again, no attack against Ukrainian people. I think the same is necessary for Ukraine, for Germany for United States, everything. This is my final remark. And thank you for the opportunity to have this discussion. And sorry if I was not enough correct with, uh, in discussion with Andrei. I hope he understood. <laughs> I think you both did very well. Uh, thank you, Alexander. Thank you, Andre. And let's do it again in a week or two. Uh, I, this is this situation is very fluid, and we'll talk about it some more. Uh, thank you, and thank you for joining us on the analysis.news.